Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jeff and Casey Show. Hello, and welcome to the Jeff and Casey Show. Today on the Jeff and Casey Show, we are going to try to get through the letters that have been written to us. Yes. Now, there's a difference between letters and links. <clears throat> yes. Sometimes people send We'll do in, links another day. Sometimes people say in links. Links, we can't really do a speed round. No. Uh, because they often we have to kind of go in depth on those. Right. We also don't even know if we can do letters. This is we're gonna we letters, may get through one. Well, the, the reason I say is letters <laughs> we can often do because there's not as many of them, so we may yes. be able to get through the letters today. I don't know if we will or not. Yes. But we're gonna start. We're gonna try and trim it down. So we're gonna try mm-hmm. and do a, a Jeff and Casey show where we go we cut right to the heart of the matter. Like right. Don Henley says when he got the call today that he didn't want to hear, but he knew that it would come. That is kind of where we are at on the Jeff and Casey show. Today, we're going to start off with someone named Casey Brandt. Okay. Uh, as usual, he did not send in how to pronounce his name, but thankfully his name is not too hard. So unless yeah. it's like Brant, it's fine. <laughs> Hi, Jeff and Casey. I started listening to the podcast fairly recently, and I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I haven't been through the entire backlog yet, so apologies if what I'm about to ask is a question that you've already covered. I'm curious about what you consider to be a good programmer. That is, if you were to hire someone new to work at Rad or on a game with you, what kind of skills would you be looking for in that person? The second part of the question is, do you have any advice for someone who would like to try to move towards that definition of good programmer? The reason I'm curious about this is that I've been making web apps with high-level interpreted languages in the world where fast enough means... The HTTP call returns within a couple of seconds for a few years now, and I want to start learning the concepts behind coding the way you need to for games and high-performance tools. I've started working on a little side project game, and so far it's going okay, but I can already tell that the way I usually approach coding is not going to hold up once I get a few more things on the screen. I have a pretty clear picture of what I consider a good programmer in the problem domain I'm most familiar with, but I know that picture is totally different in your world, and I'm hoping that you guys can help me broaden my horizons. Thanks for the great show, Casey Brandt. Okay. Got it? Mm-hmm. You want to start? Um, well, I would say there is this general concept first that, like, uh, there are magically good programmers in the world that are just, like, um, know something that you don't know, that okay. if you know that secret, you'll be a good programmer. Okay. Really, the biggest difference between programmers who get a lot of stuff done and who are at all that are just people who've written a lot of code and they've done it wrong and they've written it again the better way and they have experience with what they're about to do. Anybody that is writing something brand new with absolutely nowhere to go from, their instincts are going to help and certainly that what they've learned along the way is going to help, but it's going to be kind of shitty the first time you write it. It just always is. Um, you might get lucky. So... Really, the way to become the way to, the the people who are good programmers in the world are the people that's written a lot of fucking code and who like, hey, if they've hey they really wrote a good renderer, probably means they wrote like three or four shitty renderers before. So I would just say, if you want to become a good programmer, do a lot of programming, yeah. like the easiest way, and and not foo foo like, all right, well, I kind of took this thing and and. And kind of iterated a whole bunch on one small thing. You just got to write a lot of code. So I think that's absolutely correct. Like yeah. I would say the number one thing is you have to write a ton of code. Yeah. The biggest difference I see between programmers who get stuff done and programmers who don't is that programmers who get stuff done are always writing code. Yeah. The reason that's important is because most good programmers who are uh, perhaps do have a problem with writing lots of code. But they're, they're actually good. Like there are plenty of people who are capable of writing mm-hmm code but don't get a lot of code done in fact that's probably one of the biggest problems that exists in coding yeah because smart people 
it, there are smart people who don't get a lot of code done and smart people who do. And so, like, there's the, yeah. it's not the case that, like, you're dumb if you don't get code done. It's like you, a lot of very smart people don't get any code done. The difference, I think, really comes down to one very specific thing, which is the action that you take when you don't know what to do. Good programmer still writes code. Right. They write the code and they see how it goes. They learn from it. They write it again. Bad programmer stops and talks to somebody. Right. That is the difference. And, like, talks to somebody either about the code or just on Facebook, or right? right. Like, switches to some other thing. Right. And so <clears> I think, <throat> like, the biggest thing for the number one thing is just eight hours a day you're coding. If mm-hmm. eight hours a day you're actually programming, you are better than almost all programmers that there are. You are in the one yeah. percentile already. Yep. If you're talking about the fact that, because one of the things that he mentioned in his thing was like, oh, but you know, there's different domains of code. That's absolutely true, but I don't think that matters. Mm-hmm. There's enough resources on the internet that you should be able to find information about the kinds of stuff that you want to do. So it's really just a question of still writing that code. So it's right. like, all right, you want to become a game programmer? Great. You read some tutorials online. You follow the, some, some people. You figure out who's the right people to kind of look at, at what they post. And you just you go from there. I mean, you can fucking you can get the source code to Quake for Christ's sake, and yep. there's probably not very much uh, that would be better to learn from than that. That's just like, hey, here's how an expert wrote a whole thing, even with the software yeah. rasterizer, right? So just and to be learn clear, how like, that works or whatever. If you spend eight hours a day writing JavaScript code in your web thing, you'd figure out how to do that well too. And exactly the, the idea that like you wouldn't be worried about like oh it's not going to scale for yeah. n number of things, you'd be fine. It's just yeah. you'd be, you'd just keep yeah. doing it, yeah. right? And in general, for performance code, the crucial thing about performance code that you have to keep in mind that's different from non-performance code, right, um, is basically just you need to have an idea of what could actually be happening on the computer. And this is something that I mm-hmm. guess is worth mentioning because this might not be obvious to anyone. Uh, but basically, like, I actually learned this from Mike Abrash way back, way, way back when. Is basically just, like, do the back of the envelope calculation. calculation. You know, uh, you know, look at the, look, learn enough about the machine that you're on. And that you're targeting to know like roughly what its cache performance is, its memory bandwidth, its cache mm-hmm. performance. Um, learn about the CPU and how many ops it can do, how many flops it can do, right? That sort of thing. Same with the graphics card. Just learn the rough numbers and then go for whatever the thing is that I'm trying to do. What would be the max if everything were working Perfect. perfectly? What does that multiply out to? So if you're right. like, how many triangles should I be able to draw, knowing the rough throughput of this card, the rough throughput of the CPU, right? How many, and then you're never going to get that, so that's fine. That's right. like totally off the table because there's a million things that'll intercede. But then when you go to actually look at your code and you write some stuff and you see how it's performing, you start to know where you are relative to the headroom of that thing, right? right? And if you're lucky, you can also go out and find other people's benchmarks where they have seen how close they can get. And now you're kind of all are looking at, here's the maximum theoretical, here's what other people seem to be getting, here's what I'm getting. That kind of allows you to start to be in the mindset of, what am I, how, am I doing this right? If I'm right. not doing it right, what am I missing? And you can start to think about it that way. Whereas if you never do that step, you never know how far away you are. And that's probably right. something that you don't end up doing in web that much because there's so much latency, it's hard to probably get into situations where it's that big of a deal. I, I think it's still but a thing. Like I th- High-performance I like, servers would have the same thing. Yeah, I would, you know also, what I, mean? I would also feel like if you're writing code for eight hours a day in JavaScript – you're going to you're have the list of you're things of like, perf, no, yeah. you don't do these things because when yeah. you do them on Chrome, it's really right. slow or on yeah. – yeah. And so you just – that's why nothing 
is better. I mean, it's the same thing writers tell writers, and it's a similar thing of like, if you want to write a book, you write, like, and you sit down right, and you yeah, write every yeah. day. It doesn't matter if and if it's good. Yeah. You just put something in. Just start yeah. writing a story about your shit. Just yes. get used to putting words into the computer and you'll do it. Co- well, this is computer why, programming uh, yeah. is the same way. It's like internet, you get better because you learn from the act of doing it. And the internet's bad, just in general. Um, to have access to all the time. This is the reason I'm getting yeah. office space. Is my particular pr- yeah, my productivity is particularly low now because I don't have a place I can go where there's no internet. Right. I vastly so like I'm actually getting office space specifically because that's the way I'm used to working. Is I like to go somewhere where there's no internet because if there is internet, I'm just going to go check Twitter or I'm going to do something, yeah. and that's no good. So set yourself up for success if you can afford to, or if you have access to something. Like let's say you live mm-hmm. alone in your apartment. Fucking set your router to be off. Like, yeah. you know, they have those settings to, to deny all access between, say, you know, eight in the morning and five at night. Yep. Just set yourself up for success. Don't allow yourself the ability to do things that waste time. And that'll help you because nobody's perfect in this, yep. these ways, right? It's very hard to be that diligent. So just help yourself well, the, by setting yourself up for success. That's what I, that's my yeah. opinion. There's little weird things like that that help. Whenever I notice, like, hey, I'm spending too much time on something, Reddit or whatever, and then, Hey, I put that block in the router. Right. Put it and in, then yeah. for the first two weeks, you just have the mental thing of like, hey, this is taking long Reddit. And then you type it in and, and then like, it ah, blocks fuck, yeah. and you're like, oh, okay. Yep. Right. Yep. Back to work. Yep. And it's helpful. And it, well, and after three days, you won't do it anymore right. because it's like strange. you break yeah. that stupid thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, don't, don't think of yourself as bad for checking Facebook. Think of that as something you need to solve. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, go figure out a way to solve it, but solve it totally. Don't just kind of be like, oh, yeah. I probably should look. You know, look at Facebook less, and then you still look at Facebook all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Next question. Hopefully, that has said it. Oh, <clears> and uh, also, uh, when he was like, what were we looking for? So if I was going to hire a programmer, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, I don't really get a chance to interview programmers anymore because I'm not really involved in the hiring process anywhere. But the two things that I absolutely look for are absolute shit ton of code, as much evidence that the person codes all the time as possible. And the second thing is that I can drill down into one of them and they can explain to me very clearly what they did what and they why, did, right. right? Those are the two things I look for. Um, and I think if you can actually positively identify those two things, then you will have a very strong candidate uh, there. And mm-hmm. if you fail to do either of those two things, most interview processes don't try to establish that the person writes a lot of code and that's why they get a yeah. lot of people who don't. Yeah. And it's a problem. It's it's something you got to just learn from having done bad hires yeah. and stuff. But that's for me, if for, for, for me... The people that put in code, even if they're not crazy, like super programmer, and they're not, they weren't like the lead somewhere else. If they put a lot of code in, they'll work out because yeah, they're just there's enough yeah. things to do yes, at a company. That's right. That you will be indispensable that's if right. you are the guy that can put in eight hours and get yes, eight hours right. code. You don't yes. need to put fourteen hours. You know, like, but if in those eight hours there's a thousand lines of code at the end of the day or whatever. Yes. You, well, you okay. will, you, people, yeah. you will be a valuable employee to yes. anybody if you do. And there's that. another way to look at that too, which is that in some sense, it's like if, uh, if I have a programmer who's not that good, but who can write a lot of code, mm-hmm. I feel like I have a better chance of working with that person to help them start writing that code a little bit better than I do with someone who's really smart and knows a lot about how to write good code, but never writes it because I, 
I can't, what can I do? Like, if you don't write code, I don't know how to get you to write code. Yeah. I mean, like, unless I physically come in there and pull your Ethernet cable or other, I don't know right. what else to do. Because a lot of times they'll go talk to everyone, too. And then it's like, now there's people who don't code making other people not code. Like, right. So I feel like, yeah, if you can just be, like, disciplined coding is the most important thing. If you can find it, it's awesome. Like, right. that's the best thing. So if you can teach yourself to do it, I think you, you know, you're, you're a thing. And yeah, and there's, what, a, lot yeah, tri- there's that, a lot of tricks. There's a lot of tricks when you're good. When you become a good programmer, you learn all your own psychology and you have all the tricks of like, hey, here's the way when I don't yeah. like to do start something new. Here's how you get past that. But all of that, if you're just starting yeah. out, doesn't matter. Just start writing code for now. Yeah. And you'll figure those things out for yourself. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Casey. And not me, Casey. Yeah. Casey Brandt. Casey. Brand, Casey. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. Moving on to Rob Tomsick, also with no pronunciation guide. So okay. I don't know if it's Tomsick. Or something like this. All but right. it's Rob Tomsick says, There's been a lot of talk in both the software and non-software press about how to get kids to code. I'm assuming that you have the same reaction to this as I did. Namely, hang on, I think we might need fewer programmers. Yeah. Can we please teach some people to not program? On the off chance that you don't, though, do you think this movement will end up being mostly harmless? Or do you think it will have a real positive or negative effect on the industry? Jeff hmm. Roberts. I don't think it's necessarily negative. I think it's a no-op. It's one of those things like dare to keep kids off drugs. It's like dare to keep kids programming. Right, right, like yeah. It's not going to have any effect in the real <laughs> but, world but on Ruff anything. The code dog. Maybe if one guy tries coding or one girl tries coding that otherwise. I think that getting more women to code is actually an a valuable thing to do, period. Yeah. And just because I feel like women are better at butts and seat working <laughs> so like i feel like really? if there were more talented uh if you, there you were... think they are you are they are genetically predisposed to working more effectively no that... i don't think so, genetically what are you saying? i i don't think genetically i think that there's Culturally? nothing genetic uh, about it it's just that it's 50 percent of the population we aren't using right now at all but you in... said something about a butts and seats thing what I think oh Unpack just in that. terms of, oh just you mean in terms of the work ethic yeah yeah part yeah, of yeah, it. yeah 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 and and that could be completely the the set of people I know but uh, in general I feel like um, the women I know who work don't tend to do the eighteen hour a day thing where they just like feel bad about themselves not getting anything done for the first hour eight okay. hours of the day and then spend another ten okay. halfway getting something done they're like okay. I got eight to five and then I'm going home. And so they, they, that seems to be better. That may just simply be the 10 women I know in the, in the industry okay. that, that, that are in our industry. But uh, And then aside from that, like, hey, we're missing out on 50% of the big brains out there that could be doing good stuff. Okay. So um, maybe if that helps that, because certainly we have a problem right now where when you look at the enrollment for computer science, it's terrible for men versus women split. And so that would be nice if that helps. But I, see. I think the thing of, like, trying to get people to code – uh, I think, A, the people who are pushing those programs have no idea what code is. Well, that's Right? True. So you're like, you don't even know what you're pushing here. What right. are you trying to say? Are you trying – you want more engineers? You right. want more designers? Right. You want more – uh, uh, you know, project matters. What are you even talking about? You know, about code, Jeff, here? like yeah. what you write in Unity. Right. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, to me, it's, it's, it, that part feels fishy, but I don't know. I think it's doesn't, I don't feel like it hurts, but. So in my mind, I would say that we probably do have a problem 
And the problem looks something like this. In the old days, there were going to be people who would look at something like a video game, and this includes myself, and go, I want to make one of those. Mm -hmm. That motivation would lead you to learn, like, fucking assembly language eventually, right? Nowadays, that leads you to download some fucking shit-ass engine and, Mm -hmm. like, fucking drop some sprites in there and be like, I made a game, Right. right? That doesn't help. Really, like, we don't really need any more, anyone, like, in my mind, anyone can make a game in Unity. Like, I mean, right. if you can't download Unity and make a game, you're, like, some remedial person who needs, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah. you have no business in computing. Like, just go away, right? Like it's, like, it's like doing email. Like, anyone who's relatively competent with a computer at all, who can use Microsoft Word, right. should be able to make a game in Unity. That's just, we're just <laughs> okay. that's not to say that people can't. There right. are There are people who can't use fucking Microsoft Word, right? Mm-hmm. That's just, I mean, and, you know... I don't. I don't necessarily want to disparage those people. I kind of do, but like I'm, you know, whatever. There's maybe right. I'm sure they're good at something. Playing basketball. I don't know what it is, right? But I'm sure they're they're good at something. Just not this. I don't think we need to go out of our way to like get people doing that yeah, because it's just it. whatever. It's yeah. totally fine. Well, it's also people right? will do it if they want. Making do it. Unity, the people who mm-hmm. make Unity. I think we either already have or will soon have a massive shortage of those Those people. people. And the reason is because now people who might have, when they were young and gone, I want to learn to make a game, will just learn to fucking make something in Unity and will never take the next step of learning the hard things because it's just easier for them not to, right? And that... So, like, in the old days, like, if I look at myself, I don't know. Would I have ever learned all the rest of the deep coding stuff that I learned if I didn't have to? If I could have just made, Mm. you know, asteroids by dropping some fucking asteroids in and, like, hit go, right? That's just... It's it's the it's such an easy route to take. I don't know if you go through all this hard work, all these hours of doing something much less uh, rewarding to get to the good place. And so maybe it's not true. Maybe I would have, and it's fine. And anyone who would have in the old days will have now as well or something. But I don't know if that's true. Yeah. So one thing that I do think... I think, it, I think, I think the people with those kinds of minds find, find it, but personally. I think they'll always do, be those. If we do, that's awesome. Yeah. Because if that's true... I also don't think you need to do anything for those people. because they. So if that's true, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So if yeah. that's true, that's fine. But I don't actually know if that's true or not. Yeah. If that's true, then we don't have a problem. If it's not true, then I think that the only real thing that I think needs to be addressed in the getting kids to code thing is that part. Needing to have role models and set examples and stuff so that kids will want to become engine programmers, not scripters. Because what I would assume would happen, in my pessimistic view, is that a lot of kids who would have become engine programmers become scripters instead and never learn the hard stuff until it's way too late, like when they're 24 or something, right. you know? Where it's I think different the, at that age. I think the people that are good at that stuff are just sub, – their brains are just a little different. Okay. And their interests are different. And okay. they would – they'd script for a while and they go, ah, this – you know, okay, I've done – This is bullshit. Okay. And I've done – yeah, okay, right. I did what I did and now I go on. That's per- But, I mean, okay. again, it's opinion. I don't know. Then No – the, the the few studies they do on programmers are always so bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah on not programmer psychology yeah. is yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So that's the only thing I have to say about that. Yeah. Teaching people to code in general, I don't know if it matters at all. I, I, yeah. It doesn't seem to me. I, I pe- being able to understand how to use a computer is very important. And like, yeah. I wish that we had more education about people just understanding like, okay, 
what is the internet and how does it work? Mm-hmm. What does my computer do? How does it work on the internet? How, what's my phone? Like, what, like if they just had a basic understanding of how shit worked and what was important there, that would probably be good. Yeah. And it might lead to people making better decisions. Like we, maybe we would have only open phone stand. Like you know, maybe we wouldn't have such closed manipulative company behavior if people understood what was at stake in a lot of those places. So more educated consumers of computing, that would be good. But that doesn't really – code is not so important. Like they only kind of need to understand like the vague concepts of what the code does. They don't need to like know about, you know, what exactly is a pointer, for example. Like I don't know that that is ever – I mean not that you learn that if you learn Java or something. Right, right. I mean, you know, stuff like that doesn't seem that relative to me. What's an object – what's inheritance, right? Like I don't see why anyone would need to know that. You know, I don't know why we need to teach kids things like this in general like we teach them, say, history. Right. Yep. Yep. Computing history might be the thing, in Mm -hmm. fact, now that I think about it. Much like they don't need to know how to do actual diplomacy – they just need to know that there were these peace accords right. or something, right? Maybe we just need kids to learn computing history. Here's well, where it came I from. Here's they, what's important about it. Here's what p- sacrifices were made to get to where we are. Here's why maybe you shouldn't buy a fucking Apple product, those right. sorts of things. I think having – I think it actually would be good to teach algorithms, like yeah. basic algorithms. It doesn't have to be into like, all right, here's how bloom filters work and the crazy – You're know, saying like a heap cords. or something. Yeah, like the very simple things of – because those are very abstract and not tied to any necessarily computer model. Okay. Those I think – and also thinking about things that way is actually valuable to average people if they knew a little bit of that stuff. So I think that could okay. be interesting. All right. Um, and that could not be in a computer science. That could just be like, oh, hey, it's like your remedial, remedial algorithms. We talk about a bubble sort and what that kind of means. And we're not talking – we're not talking a specific language. We're like, here's what it means. Right. To we're just going to say we're, we're introducing the concept that there is a reference from something to another, another thing. thing. And yeah. then we're just going to say, here's how we build all yeah. of these sort of. It so- might be fun to do a lecture like that. Like try to be like four people who aren't programmers. Right. Pick something right. like sorting. Right. And then talk about it and then see if you could do. That's kind of would be kind of fun. To Basically, you, so you sort of been saying like. Introduce the concept of order notation in a way that doesn't really have anything to do. And say, like, here is how to look at various ways we could organize this information that have different amounts of time, real, like, number of things a human would have to do to sort these items and why we might care about that as a thing in general. Because, like, you take philosophy classes if you're not a philosopher. You have to take one usually when you're not a philosophy major and it talks about just general principles of thinking about thinking. And thinking about computing that way would probably be a valuable thing. Okay. But, um, yeah. All right. Should we keep going? Yep. Next. Okay. Greetings from Iraq. And this did not have a have a name associated with it. Okay. I listened for most of your episodes and enjoyed the podcast, so I wanted to thank you guys. Now, this is somebody apparently writing from a country that we have destroyed, <laughs> who is still listening to our podcast. Yeah. I do not know why he didn't write in, hey, assholes. <laughs> maybe he's listened to enough to know that we were against it. I have uh, no idea. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, I have two requests. I want you guys to explain how to address a bug that happens unexpectedly on a customer's machine and the bug can never be reproduced with a known number of steps. Okay. 
That's oh, that's the, the full question. Yes. Oh, okay, I thought there were two. This is kind of for you because you get these kind of <clears throat> bugs more than I do. Yeah, I mean... Because you write that kind of code. Right. So you get... When you get stuff like that, there's the standard way you try to do it, which is you get a dump. And if you have a dump, you stare at it long enough, you can make some guesses about it. And okay. Microsoft makes that difficult. Of course they it's do. Not e- right. It's not as it's easy job. as it could be. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, <clears throat> the bigger thing I would say is there's a, a there is not a bug that can't and this is obvious to most programmers or good programmers. Okay. There's not a bug that you can not fail to find. And that seems silly. There's not a bug There's no such thing as a bug that you not fail no, to find. There's right, you a can, lot of negatives in All there. right, sorry. Can we say There's that a, a lot of things where people go, that is that bug, memory overwrite, was in the middle of this subsystem and this thing. Right. There's no way to find it. Uh, it's just like okay. it's just too complicated. Uh, We're just gonna pad the memory okay. or they're oh. just gonna do something stupid. All like right. It. it is that is not true. Okay. <laughs> Given a crash, you can always find the problem. Okay. And even in the darkest times, okay. you need to hold on to that thought. <laughs> Because it is possible to find it. Okay. Um, and then it is just a matter of deciding, like, to what extent you'll go to it. Okay. Um, I've gone to the point to where, like, we have something that crashes on a customer's machine. We never see it. I've just had them FedEx the machine to us. I've seen that. I remember Disney one time sent a whole I just, like, just machine. fucking send that. it to me. Why? Yeah. Like, like it's it's $200. Mail the machine. We'll, we'll mail the machine. Yeah. We'll mail it back, right? Yeah. And users, I've had them do that because sometimes they're just like, sure, if it'll fix the problem, right? Yeah. And 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 done it that way. Um, obviously, debugging should be better so that you're able, like the concept that we can't very easily connect to machines over the internet and debug them when in when we need to is kind of crazy. That won't right? lead to any viruses. No, no, of course it would. <laughs> I know. I know I, 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 you're right. But I mean, we have yeah, remote we desktop have remote on desktop. all those yeah, machines. Yeah, exactly. And we don't have any way to debug <laughs> yeah. those, those machines. Yeah. Like, it's kind of absurd um, that there's not a systemic way like, no, this is the way you right. unblock this thing. You allow, like, whatever. Well, it's, I don't know what you're <clears> complaining <throat> about, Jeff. The person just buys a $1,200 license to Microsoft Visual Studio, then you remote desktop <laughs> to their machine. Right. <laughs> I will say that I've had bugs that were excruciating to find. Yeah. Um and in the really bad ones uh there were times when I had wished I had them run a mem check before I started because okay. you know it turned out to be bad, bad memory. memory in a yeah. machine. When you have a lot of end users, especially in games, you're going to have machines that are overclocked and pushing the edge. And I've yeah, spent a, point. a lot really of time on that, one before. Don't often no, right, machines, but and, and end users do all kinds of shit. Yeah, you don't and so that's about. good. Um, you know, uh, having good. Like, oh well, when I stuck the fourth video card in, yeah. dot dot dot, and you're like, okay. But most of the time, what I get back from customers is doubly indirected, which is a little rough. Where you okay. get back, it's a dump from a game that I don't have. I don't even have the symbols for the game. Right. I have a stack that ends up at us somewhere. Right. And so my method for that usually is, given a stack, yeah. I try to get them to send me the assembly around it. I then load up that version. I copy back that thing to a new directory. I load it up in the debugger. And then I literally just page up in the disassembly view, looking for the spot that matches 
and then try to figure out what was going on there and then give them some advice and give them some things to try. That's, that's usually what my hard bugs are is user people passing in bad data or bad things happening outside of our code that get passed into us blows up in our code. And then we have to figure out how that happened. Got it. So, all right. Don't know if that's super helpful for his case. Yeah. I mean, the kind of problem with that is debugging is, one of these intuition sort of things. It's yeah. hard sometimes to give yeah. concrete advice, I guess. Yeah. And um, some people are just good at it. Like, I'm a much better debugger than I am a coder. And so some people are just good at that stuff, and some people aren't. And you do get better as you do it, and the more stuff you find. All right. You ready for the next one? Yep. This one comes from Peter. Hi, Jeff and Casey. You recently talked about Agile, Scrum, and various new methodologies floating around in the program world, and it reminded me of a recent experience I had. You don't strike me as interested in the open-source software community beyond using OSS libs, obviously, but I thought I'd relate a story about how even the OSS community seems to run somewhat mad with methodologies. So I sometimes contribute to a software project, and I'd like the maintainer of that project. Uh, sorry, and I like the maintainer of that project. He's pragmatic, not dogmatic, and the code is largely C-style. Everything's fine in some packager opens an issue on GitHub that he has a build error. Strange as that might be, since we have constant integration server running and builds all commits, we look into it. Turns out the online build service he's using doesn't correctly pull Git submodules. No big deal. So it's someone else's fault, but the build system he uses is also OSS. I figure why not take a quick glance at that and see if I can't spot the error. The related part that calls Git based on the parameters provided is just a simple shell script. Seeing what I think that I think to myself, why not? Just fix it real quick and send them a pull request. That's where the trouble starts. It's an obvious bug, but the maintainer is religiously devout test-driven development design follower and requests a corresponding test. Having a test is a reasonable thing, especially for a tool like this. You would think the test for a simple shell script would be written as another shell script, but turns out the tests are written in a Python test harness, all object-oriented out the ass. So there I am, having fixed a simple error with a simple three-line change to a shell script, looking at Python code, which I'm not familiar with, that includes some test library and has a five-level and deeper inheritance structure, and about zero comments describing what it is actually being tested. It was one shell script file, and the test folder contains 18 Python files. I ended up actually tinkering for something like two hours to get the test code to do something barely useful, which was testing a narrow use case. <clears throat> I guess my question is, any fun stories about TDD fanatics? I'm thinking those would be rare, rather rare in the games world. Failing that, any fun open source stories in general? Greetings, Peter. So not a whole lot of questions there, just a story about the majesty of submitting to other people's projects. Other yeah. OPP yeah. is just bad in general because you have things that you do that other people wouldn't like. And when you come on their project, they're going to have things that you don't like. And oftentimes mm-hmm. those things are full banana cakes. Yeah. I think you could probably... Like Master Jeff R. for example. Yeah, yeah. We do have the seat up. The I think the thing that I would say about that is like, hey, people are people. Open source is no different than closed source in that regard. Right, You're yeah. going to just run into that randomness. Yep. I will say, and you had a really good point about this. I did? Yes, recently. Which is I'm just full of good points lately. Any time you aren't spent coding, you need to really think about yes. what that is and whether that's actually a win or not. You know something's gone wrong. Yes. When you have problems building your build tools, for right, example, right, like, yeah, right. like getting the build up and running. Right. Like if that's right. can't be done, yeah. then it, you need to evaluate where what got you there because yeah. what's happened 
is you're going to then be spending more time on the non-code getting the right. code working. Yes. And there's a whole ton of stuff. Like this is programmers spending a lot of time yeah. tweaking the editors, programmers yep. spending a lot of time making crazy build tools because right. they like, oh, it builds the minimal right. when like building everything nowadays on modern computers with SSDs is not a crazy thing to do anymore. Like there's a number of things where you're like, oh, I'm starting a new thing. I'm, I've got an empty directory, and I start it, and the first thing I need to do is really think about the make system. Right, it's like, yep, yep. no, 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 yeah. no, no. It's like yeah. it's a bad place to be. And and so um, – and this is – programming has just gotten so awful. It really yeah, is. It gets worse every day. It, it's true. worse, and, and, and it's like the tools plus the libraries yeah. plus the yes. environments plus yeah. the – right systems yeah. to yeah. even compile yeah. because you need a thing yeah. and like all of this stuff is stuff that's making programmers be less efficient and yes. programmers are the thing that costs you money and actually get you a product yeah. done and so it's just people should every time you think about stuff that is like common knowledge like oh you gotta have a make file yeah do you like right, yeah, right. right. think yeah, about yeah, that yeah, like yeah. this is a this is a four this is a yeah. a, a, a 50 file project right just build them all CL start like, out CPP. it's it'll be fine right. right and you'll never have a build problem no. again so yeah. that little thing where you're spending 15 minutes a day is gone um, well so yeah my whole thing is right and it's this, weird this when is, you sit down and justify things like that like it's, it's hard it's to, it's tcock it's total cost of completion that's my thing <laughs> right it's like everything you do should be saving you cost in the in getting to whatever the end goal is, which is like this a bug free product that does X, you know, these list of things, whatever it is, right? The total cost. And it is shocking. Like the programmers are the most superstitious workmen I know. Like I've never seen like a construction worker like fucking wave a dead chicken over like his hammer before he like nails shit in, right? But that's like programmers. It's like, why are you putting const in there? Because uh, it saves errors. I'm like, really? Did you count them? Like, how many errors did it save? <laughs> how you type const fucking 500 times a day? How many bugs has it saved? Tell me. <laughs> if you can't tell me, why not? Right? Like, why are you doing this thing? And people don't think of these things as superstition. They don't think of the like 20 step build mm -hmm. process as superstition, but that's what it is. It's like somewhere along the line, you got yourself into thinking that Good coding is X. It means having a test for everything. It means writing it in Python. It means having cost everywhere. It means having an inheritance hierarchy. Like there's all these things you got in your head, none of them which you have evaluated over uh, at a, a to see if they actually are performant versus some other option, right? And you got to just stop that shit because not only is it usually not helping you actually get the thing done, but oftentimes it's also making you miserable and forcing you to have arguments with people about stupid shit. Like two people arguing about what the fuck should and shouldn't be in like the private section of a class. If that, that, if that argument ever happens, everyone is fired. Everyone in the room is fired. Everyone at the company is fired. Like, I'm just firing everyone, right? Never, these things should never happen because programming at its fundamental level is much more straightforward than that. And you've gotten yourself into a huge superstitious overloading operator equals to prevent the fact that it could be used in a situation where the person didn't yeah. have, own the memory to the, and you're just like, stop. Everyone just stop right now. You have spent more time on this 
than if everyone in the company wrote code that had this bug and you had to debug it later. That is how much time you have spent focusing on preventing these bugs. It's like, that is not productive. Yeah. And I think the sooner people learn to just focus on what is, is productive, the better, yeah. right? It is a hard thing because you're all the time, you're like, well, you know, obviously we need these make systems because we don't have to build all these things. And and like I I – do I make that same argument? I'm right. like, oh, we got to have yeah. this big thing, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like the build all is 14 seconds. The build everything is yes, it's two seconds. It's, it's so it's 12 seconds less. But how much time keeping all those make systems working? How many yeah, seconds okay. went into that? Well, and so the there problem, is this yeah. weird thing of like how you balance this stuff and make decisions because yes, it's still worthwhile, but probably for us but like you yeah it's a te- it's a terrible thing when when you think about at least well, in the, my day what percentage of the time is spent maintaining systems and processes that are already in place and are not necessarily optimal or even not even optimal but like non uh, are 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 just like we do it because we've always done it that well, way well there's other things too which is that the superstitions create like there are – so bad behavior begets more bad behavior is the other thing too. The example would be like recently the product that was using Qt, for example, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as you use Qt, you need a build system because building a single file that includes Qt takes, you know, five seconds or something. I mean, just, just, just including Qt means you're never going to be able to do something like a Unity build. Right. Now, maybe, maybe you – could figure out a way to do it, but I don't know that you can even include Qt that way. Like, I don't think you could even really do a Unity build with Qt, but you certainly can't do a CL star.cpp with Qt. It'll take 30 seconds. Right. Like, that's, and, and for nothing, for like a, a minor project, right? So you end up in situations where, like, the fact that you're using code that is already poorly structured because it's got like 50,000 templates and stresses the compiler out in all these bad ways and has 800,000 H files and all these other sorts of things means now you've got to have a build system. So, all right, that just went off the table. So, all right, now you need a build system and you need an efficient build system, one that can track lots of dependencies quickly because, you know, and you just, right. things build on each other in this way. And so they start to, they become in some sense self-fulfilling prophecies. It's like, yeah, well, you did actually need a build system on this or you did actually need whatever. And that's unfortunate so you and and the same thing is true of a lot of c plus plus programming things it's like oh all right yeah you made this thing so fucking complicated with so many objects and so many inheritance levels and all this sort of thing now you, you do need visual you, assist you, you need, need you shit need all to, this stuff yeah. you need you need to overload operator equals because it's now so easy for a user to accidentally fucking cause a giant deep copy of your hierarchy to like fucking allocate 60 gigs of memory that you need to like avoid this eventuality yeah. that could be catastrophic or whatever right whereas before if the api was just sane and you weren't going nuts like this you wouldn't need these things so a lot of times too there's like some of these things that our superstition in isolation become real when they're compounded yeah. with all of these bad practices, you know, that sort of feed on each other. So that that's a problem yeah. too. But it's ugly. Anyway, for test programming is hard. For test driven development specifically, I usually actually like test driven development. Um, I think it's ridiculous to do it in a different language. So that sounds mm-hmm. nonsensical to me. But you know, putting that aside, I actually usually like test driven development, and the reason that I like it is actually not as much for the testing as it is for the development mentality. And the reason that is is because I find personally, and I've seen this with other people too. So I think it may be roughly, you know, uh, universe. Like it's not it's not a specific to a programmer thing. 
is that programmers get a lot more done when they see shit happening on the screen. So like if I can run my code, it's going to get developed a lot faster than if I'm just staring at source files for three weeks, mm. working out how some really complicated thing is going to go. And so one thing that I will intentionally do sometimes when I am having trouble getting some code finished because it's very abstract and involves a lot of moving parts that won't be doing anything interesting anytime soon is I will start doing test-driven development strictly to give me something to run because it right. feels more like I'm making progress and helps keep my morale up. Whereas if I'm literally only just going to eventually... It may have nothing to do with finding bugs. I may be completely unconcerned about the debuggability of this project. And I may think that it will be trivial to debug later. So the tests are not about that. But they will be about getting me to that point. So like, oh, I'm writing a new database system that's going to underlie some of my code. I will just start writing tests code for that to focus on like, okay, here's a thing that does a simple query or whatever. And let me see if I can get that working. That's just a good goal. So sometimes using test-driven development as goals I think is good. That's what I will say about test-driven development. Okay. I like it. All right. Moving on. Now, this one is the first time, I think, that I've ever had somebody write in. I've said many times, include how to pronounce your name. Tell us how to pronounce your name. We want to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> the first time I actually had someone who actually did it. They actually told us how to pronounce their name. So this one is from Sergio. <laughs> I believe I'm saying that correctly. I'm not sure. Okay. Sergio. Right. I don't know if I can. I, I'm probably not doing exactly the way he wants, but I'm trying. And he says, hi, my name is Sergio. I prefer it to be pronounced with a soft G. Pronouncing it Sergio is acceptable only if you pull off a sexy Spanish accent. So I think okay. I think it may not really be that acceptable because my Spanish isn't sexy. Oh, I, I see. haven't. We need like I don't know. Do you think Daniel Ben Mergui does a sexies? Can he do his like it's Argentinian a sexy Spanish? Yeah, I feel like he could. You feel like he could pull well, that? Well, no, I mean it's we just need like, a guest voice. like that sexy talk. Like we don't have sexy english voices but we know the oh, i've got a sexy english well wait voice. but we know the joke like oh you know you just do the Jeff funny little thing after dark so they would uh so certainly daniel would know like no here's here's the okay. the tone that you use right, when okay. you want to do spanish okay, sexy. okay all right well so i'm sorry that we were not able to maybe sex it up as yeah. much as we should have but here comes the the letter and this letter was pretty amusing <laughs> okay speaking of sexy i just spent an hour and a half of my life listening listening to jeff and casey talk about masturbation oh, and i boy. thought that casey's analogy right at the end was spot on there are masturbation enthusiasts and i like how we're talking about masturbation. he's talking about my observation yeah. right at the end yeah, at yeah. the finish if yeah. you will at the climax so is he talking about the milky finish I guess so. Okay. Is that what we some, talked about? Some Is that when we spent an hour and a half on uh, – we spent an hour and a half on masturbation Maybe he was not specific. It could have been about the auto blow. Okay. I think it was because I was talking about how the auto blow – you were – Can we just do a quick aside here just to like really tantalize the viewers? To prime the pump, if you will. Auto blow has sent us <laughs> an auto blow. They, did, they, they did you, did contacted us. Did you receive it yet? Yeah, it is know. sitting on the counter. Oh, yes. Okay. So we have a surprise that you will know if you follow yes. Twitter. The folks, uh, the good folks at auto blow contacted us and said, we listened to the show. <laughs> Would you like us to send you an auto blow? And I asked Jeff and we said yes because we think, and we're right. not sure, we think we know the exact right person to do an auto blow review for yes. us. So yes. we hope to have some point in the near future a audio review that we will play for you yes. 
of of the auto blow up close and personal because that is the kind of in depth reporting that you have come to you know uh, expect, expect and respect yes. from the Jeff and Casey show, and we are not going to disappoint. Right. So anyway, that's a that little aside, a side saying a that teaser. there is an auto blow on just my counter. Tip. That was just yes. the tip, but apparently, so you have received it. Yeah. So in New York City right now, there is an auto blow waiting for yes, Jeff. Yes, there's an auto back, blow. It came in one box, and then a box of lube came with no! it. No. And I'm no! like, yeah. Dawn opens it. So she's, great. what is this? And I'm like. It's a podcast saying, that. don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, we're going to be using that. <laughs> okay. So, some context, colon, mm-hmm. from Sergio. I started masturbating right about when the internet was becoming a thing. I didn't know how to do it, and I felt embarrassed to ask someone to teach me. Naturally, I decided to do some research, and that is how I found HTTP colon slash slash jackinworld.com which okay. I assume is jackin apostrophe uh-huh. like you can't yeah. do an apostrophe in a domain yep. name but I assume it's jackinworld.com I just what it should be is jackin percent 43 world <laughs> yeah. and you just have to like to oh know. yeah that's what, that, know is. what that is yeah, okay. I just checked and it is still online and apparently has been since 1996 okay there is a wealth of information for the masturbation enthusiast, different techniques to make the experience longer or more intense or with different sensations. I am not sure if this is a good place for an impressionable young mind discovering <laughs> his sexuality. Sorry about the context, which might have too much information, but when, I <clears throat> but when I share a link to a site dedicated to the art of masturbation, I feel the need to explain how the hell I found out about it. You know what? This is Jeff and Casey's show. You don't need to explain you don't yourself. Need to explain yourself. No. Everything, everything's mm-hmm. fine. All right, this is a welcoming community. That's right. We don't judge. We don't judge. Yeah. We talked about the auto blow for like an hour and a half. I've got an auto blow what on are my we counter. Be doing? He has what can an auto blow on his counter. What can right I say? Now. He has yeah. an auto blow on his counter. I guess I'm prejudiced that way. So anyway, I just wanted to share this with you. But while I'm writing this, I might as well ask a question. I w- now I was hoping at that point in the email that it was going to be something about masturbation because I'm like, okay, this is you know this is where this is going. Nope. I was following a conversation on Twitter a couple months back. Casey and Sean Barrett and some others were having a discussion about innate talent versus practice. I would like to hear you address that. Posing it as a question, if a reasonably intelligent person does nothing but real challenging programming work for 12 hours a day, 10 years straight, will that person reach or exceed the abilities of insert famous super programmer? And by super programmer, I kind of meant John Carmack, who just seems to have an exceptional brain on top of the thousands of hours of practice. Thanks. Okay. Got that? Yep. So the masturbation was just like a... A tease. A t- a, a, well, not a tease, a, a misdirection. Misdirection. Yeah. Oh, a red, like, a red herring. A red, yeah, yeah. Right. A, a, a MacGruffin. A MacGruffin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so nice. the question is, is practice versus talent? Yes. Yes. Okay, so uh, John would be the first one to say this. Yes. John is a very smart person. Yes. But... He is an absolute uh, fanatical worker. Yeah. And and he is good because he works every day. Yeah. Certainly he's smart. Yeah. But he is not good because he's smart. Yeah. Like, they, that helps. Yeah. But, like, he is a machine. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of smart people in the game industry that I know who are smarter than John. Yep. But uh, don't get as much done as him because yeah. he is a work machine. Yep. So that answers the question. I mean, if you want to be better than John, 
The problem is, is John's still working 12 hours a day himself. So, uh, yeah, but fortunately but, he's not working on anything interesting. anymore. That's true. He's it got is, a fucking Oculus headset yeah, on that's and just true. looking all around at weird shit. So you're fine. <laughs> you can easily catch him if you start now. If you start now, you'll do fine. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean, Hey, we already talked about this. It's, it's a button seat working. You will be a, if you are a person who spends 10 hours a day, you will be an absolutely indispensable, very well paid person in 10 years. My take on this is actually a little different, I think. And uh, that is that I think there is a lot more to this than people normally give credit okay. to. I, I don't know how to say this exactly. But basically, I think the talent versus practice is a non... It doesn't really actually make any sense. The the The, the whole premise is flawed. Okay. And basically what I would say is that like most systems, I think first of all there's a tendency to forward to look at things in the forward instead of the backward process, right? So like people would say shit like, wow, you know, humans got to where they were by constantly focusing on developing their brains as opposed to monkeys who didn't or something. And you're like, no, that's not how that <laughs> worked, right? It's like until Darwin came along, people thought the same talent practice thing about animals. Giraffes got long necks by reaching up to the trees and stuff like that. It's like, nope, that's not what happened, right? <laughs> so I suspect that probably the talent versus practice thing conflates a whole host of things, some of which involve the fact that practice and talent aren't separated. One part of your talent at something is the fact that you practice it a lot. Like, yeah. you probably can't decide to practice cello a lot more than you normally would because that is how your brain is working now and you can't change that, right? right? Like, one of the talented parts of John Carmack is the fact that he likes or will program for a lot more hours a day than you will. And there's probably not a whole lot you will ever do about that because if your brain was in the way that it could do that, it would have already been doing it and you wouldn't have to ask that question, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is I think people often underestimate the amount at which uh, the amount to which your brain actually does have innate things that make you better at worse at something that make practice less easier. necessary for yeah. you. Oh, right? necessary. I was going to say easier. But, less necessary. Okay. Like so there's uh I mean an example of this would be taking really really basic shit. Everyone has heard language spoken pretty much their entire life all day every day. And has had the opportunity to read all day, every day. There are people who still cannot fucking put together a sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like practice is a valid excuse for why these people can't fucking figure that out. There are brains who, when they see things repeatedly, absorb them. And there are brains that just fucking don't. And I think to say that it has something to do with practice is actually just plain not true. There are things that you can have in your brain that allow you to uptake more quickly than other people for various domains of knowledge and behavior and whatever the fuck else it is. And I think saying that it's only about practice sort of ignores some really fucking obvious shit. Yeah. Like mimicry is a big part about of getting good at things. And there's people that can naturally mimic certain things and people who can't. There are people who you will shoot a basketball and they will just fucking mimic you and it's a beautiful shot. And like what they have this physical learning, their brain just does that. And that's a huge leg up. Mm -hmm. There's people with language who they can hear someone 
say something, they can hear someone say a bunch of things, and then they can say stuff just like that person would say it. And there's other people who will never be able to yeah. do that. And it's just that's not but, practice. No, but it's I would not. just uh, here's all I would say about that though. Yeah. Is at the limit – in the way the question's posed, he's comparing it to the people who are the very best in this particular field. Yeah. And the very best – like the very best people who do impressions or whatever they are. Right. All had that natural ability to and then still did the gazillion yeah. hours oh, of yeah, practice. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. Like, but that's why You I'm have saying... to have something to meet – like if you – if he led – if he asked the question, I'm assuming he has a natural somewhat – aptitude towards algorithmic thinking, which is, of course, you just have to have. There are people that I could sit here and explain over and over and over yeah. the simplest procedure, and right. they wouldn't get yeah. the fact that, no, this happens after yeah, this, not all at the same blah, time. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, that's just just different. Right. So I'm assuming like, hey, all right, you have the natural, like, whatever that part of your brain is that is pre-wired somewhat that, like, thinks algorithmically. Right. That's just not – that's great that you have that because that okay. lets you be in this field at all. Right. But the only way that you're ever going to be indispensable is like doing the work. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is he's asking how much talent plays into it. And oh. what I'm saying is mm. I think it plays into it a huge amount. And yeah. people like to downplay I guess that's that. true. Yeah. And here's the reason I say but, that. But yeah, I mean – You wouldn't say it in any other discipline. Yeah. You wouldn't say that Usain Bolt is really fast strictly because he practiced. Like, yeah. oh, Casey, you could go out and just run – if you had run in your life as much as he yeah, did, yeah, you would be right. fast. It's like, no, you wouldn't. I, ne I yeah, will it's, never it's, be it's the even wrong way a to fucking say it. half the speed he is, let alone close to the yeah. speed he is. And mentally, I think that's all to the same. Right, it's right. like, no. You have a you you can no, practice right. will let you hit your top limit that your talent allows, but there's a big difference there, and you may very well not be as talented as John Carmine as a programmer, which is not to say that he's the most talented programmer yeah. even. It's just to say that he is a talented programmer and he has a lot of practice. You could put in a lot of practice and not be as good as him easily. Yeah. No question. And maybe if I spent some time with you, I could find out if I thought you could be like, yeah. okay, let's see how yeah, you that's are. Yeah, that's a good maybe. point. It is. But it is with no other information. No, I can't make that assertion. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm looking at it more of people don't think you... of mental things as being analogous to physical things, but I don't know why because we don't have any evidence yet to prove that they're not. So yeah. it seems to me that it's very logical that people's brains differ in the same way that their physiology differs, and that leads to certain performance criteria at the limit. Period. That seems very logical to me. And yes. Till we, till we have I evidence to the say, contrary, I would say we should assume it's. I true. would just say that most of the time, like to be to make a living being a runner. There are maybe a hundred people that get sponsorships <laughs> right, and running. Right, yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah. else yeah. is in the poorhouse. If yeah. you put if if you will be if you're in the top fifty percent of programmers, you're gonna make a lot of money. Yeah. And you will do very well and you'll be indispensable yes. and you'll be you'll you will have a you will feel fulfilled. Yes. And the only way you get yeah. there is that the talent doesn't yes, get that's you there. True. So that. he was talking about John Carmack. If yeah. we're just talking about, let's say you just want to get hired by Google. Right. You can be, I mean, you can program at .00001 Carmax and get hired by Google and get a great salary. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot right. of programming positions in this world. And, and not even, not even are, salary. I mean, just be like fulfilled. Like you're doing work that is challenging and fun. But you can do fun. that at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, but... I think people need to work. Like it, okay, yeah, but yeah, maybe, yeah. But if you did, if you weren't satisfied programming at home, I suspect you don't have the talent for it. Yes, that probably is true. <laughs>
Okay, right. I like that. Yeah. I have a surprise for you, Jeff. Yes. That was the end of the letters. We got we did them, them all? all in less than an hour. Five 50 minutes 50. left. All right, perfect. That's awesome. What do you think of that? That's pretty good. All right. I keep looking over. You pulled out the book, Ocho Cinco's book, mm. from season one or two of the podcast. Well, I feel like if I'm not very much in error, that we covered Ocho Cinco uh, in a in a, like a episode called like Planet Chad that Planet was part Chad. of the like Twelve Days of Podcast. Oh, okay. I feel like it was part of the Twelve Days of Podcast. Yeah, I didn't know who it was because it was just it was face down before, but now we got Ocho. This is Ocho how it goes. Cinco, he's flipping you off. Yeah, just like I do at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> no, oh god damn it! All right, everybody. If you have a letter to write us, we will save them up and have a big yeah. old uh, milky finish of... We will of, have a milky, milky finish. ...of, of uh, letters. You can email us at podcast at com. As always. And um, next week is going to be links. We're going to try to do links. I don't know what we're going to try to uh, do. Links we'll are do hard. We can. Links are yeah. hard because they take a long time and we get a lot of them. Yeah. But we will see what we can do. All right. Well, hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week. Yep. <laughs>